For those who I have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Father Jamie Mueller. Uh, I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Chicago, and I live with Father Connor, who is your chaplain. I'm very grateful to be able to celebrate Good Friday with you today here. And um, I'm grateful that Father Connor invited me to celebrate, to be the main celebrant today, and to preach. Love makes heavy burdens light. I think it's an important question. You're all here, a lot of you are here for college. Some of you undergrad, some of you grad school, some of you might be working. It's important to stop and ask yourself, as many of you probably have in your time of declaring a major, in perhaps approaching graduation and thinking about what you're going to do with your life, maybe getting your graduate degree wondering if you're actually going to be able to use it or get a job with it. But it's important to ask ourselves, what is it that we really want? What do we really want in life? And I think more and more uh, our culture and our society is moving away from the idea of things or money as happiness, though many people still seek those. I think we're coming to a greater consciousness that that's not actually what makes you happy, right? Like a little child, if any of you have kids or have little siblings or nieces and nephews, uh, what do they do when they want a toy? Do they ask patiently and wait quietly? They scream and they shout until they get their toy, right? And then how do they feel when they have it? Happy. But for how long? A few minutes, a few days, a week or a month if it's a really good toy, and then what? They need another, and then another, and another, and another, and another, and another. Until when? When does this vicious cycle of toys end in life? I think young people often say, oh, when you get older, right? Kids say that. But I think as we begin to get older, we realize, if we're honest, it doesn't end. We might not want toys, some of us still do, but we, we want wealth, pleasure, power, honor, money, other people, other people even. And we think, if I just had that thing or person, whatever it is, I'd be happy. But whenever we get it, if we're unlucky enough to get everything we want, we realize it's not enough. Right? But ultimately, I think that we want happiness. Otherwise, you wouldn't do much of what you do. Even evil people or people who do wrong, we believe, are seeking in some way happiness. What are we missing? What do we really need to be happy as humans? And I think our culture and society, even in erroneous ways, knows this right now. Young kids answer the question, right? What do we need, or what are we all seeking in order to be happy? You can respond if you'd like. I'm not as strict as Father Connor. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Love. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, ultimately. But you went a few steps ahead of me here. But thank you for answering. We need love, right? Everybody says that. One big catchphrase nowadays is, love is love. We want to defend love in our culture, and that's good. It's not bad. Because love is ultimately what we truly need to be happy. I have two questions to follow that up with, though. I always ask young people this, especially in high school. I love talking to high schoolers because they they kind of know something, but they don't know a lot just yet, and so they give you some really, sometimes really good answers and sometimes really hilarious and awful ones. How do you know someone loves you? Or how do you know that you love someone? What's the greatest test of knowing that you're loved or that you love someone? Okay, I think so. Sometimes people are like, oh, nice things, right? 
I, give, I buy them nice things, or I do, I'm kind. I'm like, yeah, but you can give chocolates and flowers and not be doing it for the other person, right? You can be doing it for yourself. The greatest test of love, we believe, is sacrifice. Ultimately, giving up what you want for the good of the other. Right? Now, this is part of my wedding homily, so don't give it away. Uh, I often stop and I ask the bride-to-be right before their vows, would you be okay if your husband loved you 50%? And what do you think she always says? Oh, no. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> How about 75? No. How about 95? And sometimes they're like, no. I'm like, no. <laughs> right? If we're honest, we don't just want love. What do we all want? Perfect love. Right? If we're honest, I don't just want to be loved. I want to be loved perfectly. I want 100%. Now here's the kicker. Who here can love perfectly? Me either. I wish I could, but none of us can. And so the horrible question of life is, are we just set up for eternal disappointment the rest of our lives? Should we just prefer ignorance over bliss and try our best and hope for the best, even though we know at the end we're going to be disappointed at best, hurt at worst? Or is there some source of perfect love for which our hearts long? Is there a reason that we long for it because it really exists somewhere? And friends, I would say that we're all here today at 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Most of us, and don't feel bad if you're not, but most of us are fasting, which is not a pleasurable experience, because we believe that perfect love does exist in the world. And not only does it exist, this is the real crazy part about what we believe, we have access to it. We don't deserve it, but in some crazy way, it's being offered to us. If only we'll accept it. That's why we're here. That God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows everything we've ever done, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he loves us still more than we love ourselves. That's scary, though. And I think some people actually believe that and still walk away from it. People don't want to be Christian nowadays. It's not popular to be Catholic, especially not Catholic. Especially for you all who are younger than I. I know it's, it's tough. But people walk away from the Christian faith not just because they don't believe. I think often because it's a huge risk because they know themselves and they can't accept and they can't love parts of themselves so they can't believe that anyone else including God could love those parts I heard a priest once preach about a, uh, a game show where the only thing someone had to do I often tell this story so if you've heard me preach forgive my repetition but the only thing that person had to do on the game show was tell the truth they hooked them up to a lie detector and if they just told the truth they won money pretty easy right so they hooked the lady up her family, her boss, her friends are there. And they say, what's your name? They threw her a few softballs. What's your name? Blah, bing, she won the money. 
Is this your family? Yep, bing, she won the money. What do you do? Bing, she won the money. What's your age? A little bit harder. She told the truth. Bing, she won the money, right? As the questions progressed and the money went up, they started asking more difficult questions. He said, is this your husband? Yes, bing. Do you love him? Yes, bing. Have you been faithful or have you ever been unfaithful? And she paused for a minute. She looked over at her husband and her husband was a little concerned with the pause. And finally she said, yes, I've been unfaithful. Bing. She won the money. I lost her husband, but she won the money. And he asked her, uh, do you like your job? Yeah. Have you ever stolen from your job? Yep. Bing. She won the money. Her boss was there. She probably lost her job, but she won the money. I think those two were actually reversed. The job first, then the husband. So at this point, it's pretty dramatic. He asked a few other questions, and then finally he said, um, are you a good person? This is the last question for lots of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars. What do you think she said? She said, yes. And the buzzer beeped. She was lying to herself. After telling the truth about all of these crazy things and losing so much, she couldn't admit to herself that maybe she wasn't a good person. Friends, so many people say to me as a priest, some people are like, I'm not a good Catholic. I'm like, me either, don't worry. <laughs> we trust in God, not us. But a lot of people say too, like, well, I don't go to church, or I don't believe in God, but I'm a good person. And I tell them, well, congratulations, because you've achieved something that I have not. I think we're terrified to admit, maybe I'm not the person that I would like to be. And maybe I never will be. That's the hardest part. And I don't deserve, or I might not find the love that I so deeply and desperately desire. But the good news that we're here to receive today is that though we don't deserve it, it's being offered to us. And that we're not alone in that struggle, that we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to make ourselves good. God is already offering that to us. Friends, the sign of our faith, there are many signs of religions and faith in the world, and they're not bad. But the sign of our faith as Christians is a very different sign. It's a man being tortured and executed. Today, it would be like putting an electric chair in your house and around your neck. It would be utter craziness. If you put a, an electric chair in your house as you first walked in, people would walk in and be like, whoa, what is that? Why do you have that there? That's what the cross was for the people of Jesus' time. It was a sign of utter terror and oppression and torture and death. And yet that's what we hold up as a sign of our faith. That's what we hold up as our hope. Because it's a sign of a few things, and I, I'm landing the plane here. One is that what we're suffering is not for nothing. Father Connor mentioned last night that the church sees yesterday's Mass, today's liturgy, and tomorrow's Mass as one. We're not going to have any final blessing today because it's all one big Mass or liturgy. You cannot separate the cross from the resurrection. You can't have one without the other. We often want a resurrection without the cross, but you can't forget that any suffering we go through, we believe that God can take that and make it into something much greater than we could ever imagine if we give it to him, if we invite God into that place in our life and in our hearts. Our suffering is not for nothing. 
There's a story I heard from Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, who was an old preacher, about a woman in Russia when the communists took over and they hated religion in general, but especially Christianity, and they hired all of these thugs. They actually took people out of jail who was, who was there for violent crimes, and they said, we'll give you your freedom as long as you find Christians and you torture and murder them so that they, people stop being Christian. And they said, fine, we'll do that for freedom. So this band of thugs went around, led by an infamous man who was known for his brutality, hunting down Christians. And one day they came upon a house where Christians were praying. They broke in. And he, the man admitted that he saw a woman in, the, in that crowd of Christians that he thought was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen in his life. And it pained him to hit her. But beat her he did. Very badly. A few weeks later, they broke into another house and found another group of Christians. And who was amongst that group? He was shocked. But that same young woman, who was still bruised from her first beating. And he said... It pained him even more to beat her, but he did, until her back showed bones in it. A few months, maybe a month or two later, they broke into another house, and who was there? This young lady. And this head of the gang said to everyone else, nobody touch her, and he pulled her aside while everyone else was being beaten. He later admitted he was shocked that this young, small girl had more strength than he did. And he wanted what she had, even though he was seen as the, most strong, the strongest person there. So on their way out, she had dropped her Bible. He ripped one page out of it, which ended up being a page from the Gospel of Matthew. And he said he went home that night, and he read it over and over and over again. He had this deep conversion. He wrote a letter of apology to the Christian community in Russia, and the next week he was murdered by the government. Sometimes we don't see what our suffering will cause in the world. But we believe, friends, that anything offered to God, even that which seems totally outrageous, that which seems uh, utterly hopeless, that it will have an effect, it will have a ripple throughout the world and throughout time that we could never imagine. The cross shows us how much we're loved. Sometimes people say, look at what your sins did to Jesus. I think we should say, look at how much Jesus loves you. Look how much you're loved when we look at the cross. It shows that we're not alone in those deepest, darkest moments. That God has not abandoned us. And that he understands that. He understands those moments of despair. Finally, and perhaps the most importantly, it means that in our greatest weaknesses, in our greatest uh, sins, in our greatest wounds, God does not despise us or reject us. In fact, he takes them upon himself. We recently heard a priest who works with a gang ministry out in L.A., Father Greg Boyle, if you haven't heard of him. He's amazing. He said, if you can't love your own wounds and weaknesses, you'll be tempted to despise the weak and wounded. If you can't love your own wounds and weaknesses, you'll be tempted to despise the weak and the wounded. Friends, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sins as something to be rejected in us. He doesn't see our weaknesses and our wounds as something that uh, disgusts him. He looks at them as something that he deeply desires to heal and to strengthen and to make us whole again, just as he did to Jesus, taking him from that great suffering and death into the resurrection. Today, as we come up to venerate the cross, uh, I invite you to bring with you the things that you hate most about yourself. 
the things you hate most about your life, the things you hate most about the church, maybe, and even the world, and to give them to the Lord Jesus. And as you look upon the cross, not just today, but perhaps throughout Easter, and even, I hope, into the year to come, that you can see an invitation of the Lord God to offer to him the parts of your life, disappointed love, wounded love in your heart, that we're tempted to despair with and tempted to think this will never get better, this will never be full, I'll never receive that, and to invite God into that place with trust, maybe not knowing what will happen, just as the apostles had no idea that Jesus would rise from the dead. They were utterly shocked, but inviting God with that hope that God can do something here, that he loves me despite all this, and that if I offer that to him, uh, he can do something greater than I could possibly hope for or imagine. I think, friends, if we can receive that hope and that love from God, we then can share that with those around us. And imagine a world where you look around and you don't see the weak and wounded as something to be despised, but rather the weak and the wounded as something to be lifted up as God sees us. That would be an amazing world. That would be a world that I would be happy to live in. And that is what the Lord is offering to us today. The unconditional love of his heart that heals us and the call to love others in the same way. Amen.